to another episode of The Micro Moment. You know, the show that takes you down to the microscopic level to view the world just a little bit differently. It's John, and I recently spoke with Don Miller, a master brewer and a co-owner of the microbrewery Uriel's Brewing Company. Today, we talk about that awesome drink, beer. The good, the kind of bad, and not really ugly. Hope you enjoy, everyone. Hello, Microbial Nation. This is John, and I have a special guest today. With me is Don Miller, one of the co-owners of Uriel Brewing Company. How are you today, Don? I'm well. Thank you for asking. So, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, my name is Don, and I started brewing back in 1989. It all started with a beer. I took a trip up to Portland, Oregon, and ate food in a Thai restaurant. Felt like ordering a beer, did so. The waitress said, would you like to try a craft beer? At the time, I'd never heard that term before and asked her to tell me what she meant. And she told me of two brothers that were brewing a family, years old family recipe at home and then had turned professional. And that beer was now available in bars and restaurants. And I said, what? You can brew beer at home? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I'd like to try some of that. I think I had a couple. I liked it. And I visited the brewery. It's called Vidmar. And it was their American Hefeweizen. That's the beer that got it started for me. After that vacation ended, I came home to Hesperia, where I was living at the time. I looked up the word home brewing in the yellow pages. Somebody answered the phone, had a home-based business out of their garage, maybe five miles from my house. And that person taught me how to home brew and got me started on the adventure. And I love solving puzzles. And the puzzle is, how do I make it taste like what I want it to taste like? And that has kept me interested in brewing for over 30 years. That's really cool. Like growing up, I've always heard of like, you know, craft brews or micro brews. So it's, it's interesting to see like how recent really home brewing and craft brewing has really picked up. How long has Uriel's been operating for? We're in our sixth year of operation. How has the business been during this pandemic? We actually grew during the pandemic because we switched our game from the retail model, hospitality model, which was destroyed by COVID. If nobody can come and sit and drink, your hospitality model is absolutely destroyed. We saw the writing on the wall and put our beer in cans and increased our uh, wholesale distribution and our to-go can sales is what really saved us. And we started doing contract brewing. What is contract brewing, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, Contract brewing is brewing beers for other people. It could be done as a white label beer, let's say Trader Joe's, or somebody owns like a chain of supermarkets and they want their own beer. They get a brewery to produce it for them. They buy it all. And since they're buying a lot, they get a better price. It says their name on it. So it truly is their beer. And then they sell it in the way that they can through their store. Hmm. It sounds like a really great way to expand your business. It has worked out very well for the people who have done it. For instance, here in Riverside, we make beer for a local fruit grower, Glass Ranch. They have sold other people's beers and they had success at it. But once they had their own beer, those beers flew off the shelf. 
That's really cool. I know that you started uh, homebrewing and then you started doing competitions a little while afterwards. How many competitions have you entered and what is the environment of a competition for beer making? Well, um, my first competition was the San Bernardino County Fair. And I entered that within six months of my first brew that I made. And I was always reading books. And every time I'd make another beer, I had read another book and was incorporating ideas from that book into my new beers. So I would tell my friends, oh, this beer I'm making now is going to be my best ever. And I'm really excited because I'm going to do these new uh, techniques and procedures. And it's going to make the beer so much better. So then, you know, the San Bernardino County Fair comes up. I entered three beers and I got two first places, a best to show and a third place. That's really impressive. Yeah. For your first one. Thank you. And then it was a little bit hard because some of the people in my club didn't think that I did that. And even the guy who taught me how to brew accused me of cheating. And I said, you know, why can't you just be happy for me? And and say, you know, that, yeah, he's a good brewer. I taught him. <laughs> yeah, I right? would think you would get a sense of pride from that. Like, I taught this person everything I know. Look what came out of it. Yeah, um, but it wasn't that way. And uh, so then I asked, well, how do you think I cheated? Uh, or why do you think I cheated? Is it because the beer is so good it couldn't have been made at home? It tasted way too professional. And he said, yeah, something like that. He didn't really want to give me the compliment. And so I said, well, that's a high compliment. And then as far as me cheating, you know, we're all doing this to save money. I mean, making beer at home, making it how we want to make it so we can drink good beer and it's not going to like break our piggy bank. That was right. the whole idea. So I said, you know, I can show you the full keg at home. And then he's like, no, you could have just opened up a couple of cases and filled it. And I said, man, always the skeptic. Okay. If, I, if there's no way I can have you believing me, then this story is never going away. So, you know, I thought you were my friend. Now I know you're not. <laughs> yeah. So is that what it's like for competitions? Or is there like, um, is it more friendly generally? Like, is there a sharing of like ideas at a competition? Well, let me just say this, that for the most part, the people who enter competitions aren't really at them and seeing how they're run. It's mm -hmm. the judges, you know, um, so... I'm also a judge, so I know what it's like to judge at a competition, and I can tell you what that's like. But as far as entering a competition, it's all about making a beer, putting it in the right package as far as what the competition wants, sending the right number and size of packages, and then waiting for the results once they come in. Somebody, one could attend the award ceremony where all the winners are announced, mm -hmm. but it's not required. But as a judge, you know, I get to drink all those beers and then decide, you know, which beers are best and why. That's that's exciting to me. Yeah. I mean, how many I, I can only imagine the uh, different styles and types of beer you must be able to taste as a judge. Must be so many. Yes. And you can opt out of certain styles or you can be very helpful and judge any style that they ask you to judge. Hmm. Something about judging is when you take the taste test for judging through the BJCP, you will be given six beers. I think there are a few categories where they won't give you those beers, but that's well known. What beers you're never going to get. And it's only a few. 
you could get like 200 different styles worth of beers. And when they give you that beer, they're going to call it something. It may not be what they're calling it. It could be a world-class perfect example of what they're calling it, or it could not even be what they're calling it. And it could have faults. Hmm. And then you have to taste that beer, give your perceptions, score it, give advice if there are faults on how to rectify them and be very thorough. And if you do a masterful job at that, then you'll score at a master's level. Hmm. I'm, I'm a certified judge right now. Have you judged recently? Yes. Let's see the last judging I did. It may have been in San Diego. I also judge homebrew competitions. Mm -hmm. I think I judged the San Diego International was the last professional competition. So I was wondering, could you briefly go over what the process is of making beer? Yeah. So the process of making beer, it's a hot water extraction, just like you put hot water and tea leaves together, mm -hmm. and then you'll extract flavor and color from the tea leaf or hot water and um, ground coffee. You'll get the color and flavor of the coffee bean. Well, when you put hot water together with milled malt and let it rest for 15 to 90 minutes at a temperature between 146 and 158 and a pH of 5.2 to 5.6, then you'll be breaking down the sugars available in that malt into the fermentable fractions unique to the style of beer that you're choosing to brew. At the end of that rest, you'll raise the temperature of the water and grist to 168 to lock in the fermentation profile by denaturing the enzymes that are breaking down the sugars for you. And then you'll rinse with the same um, heat of water, 168, to remove the sugary liquid from the solids. And then you'll put all that into your brew kettle, bring it to a boil, add hops to bitter. And um, when the boil is complete, you'll lower the temperature and add your whirlpool hops if it's required for the recipe. And when hopping is complete, you'll cool the bitter vert to fermentation temperature, aerate the liquid, add the yeast, and ferment to completion. And in the uh, fermentation, the, the secondary and sometimes the primary, you can add dry hops, fruits, spices, and flavorings if required, when required. When the time comes that you're finished, cold crash, find the uh, beer, package it, and enjoy it. Speaking of adding uh, like flavors like fruits, do you generally add it in the primary or secondary? When I want fresh fruit flavor, secondary. Yeah, because I know in primary it can break down a lot of those flavors that the fruit brings to the beer, right? Well, the yeast themselves are single-celled organisms and their cell membrane can absorb flavors and aromas. And then, so if you do it too early, when the yeast count is too high, you won't get the same magnitude of flavor and aroma. Okay. They kind of seep it out of the... Yeah, they seep it out. It. Okay. Yeah, seep it out. I never knew that. Take it in and then you have less. So hmm. the timing of it is important. So I also know like, depending on the type of beer, you use a different type of like sugar or malt source. What do you typically use for your uh, malt source? For the uh, grains, I typically use malted barley, but I also use unmalted barley, um, black barley, flake barley, uh, malted and unmalted wheat, flaked wheat, malted and raw millet, 
uh, malted rye, flake rye, malted oats, rolled oats, buckwheat, lentils, and a lot of other fermentables, including the liquid malt extracts and the dry malt extracts. The extracts do work extremely well, but they were mashed by others to an unknown fermentability. And like most pros, I like the grains for the freshest tasting quaff attainable and the most ability to change the fermentability into exactly what I want. So then I could make the beer that I'm looking to make. So uh, using grain, it gives you more control and you can more accurately make the beer that way instead of using an extract. Yeah, it would be like you could make a cherry pie with canned cherries. Mm -hmm. Or you could pick fresh cherries and make a fresh cherry pie. Mm. So the extracts would be like canned cherries and, you know, because they're already partly processed. And the grains would be like fresh cherries because you have to do all the processing. Mm -hmm. So I was curious, what's the typical time it takes going from fermentation to tap generally with beer? Well, my average recipe goes from brew house to beer glass in about 17 days. The quickest one that I ever did was an English beer in seven days from brew house to beer glass. And lagers average 29 to 35 days in the traditional method. If you do a high pressure lager, I understand you can do one in like 17 to 21 days. Mm-hmm. And barrel aged beers can take eight months to two to three years prior to packaging in flavor development. Yeah, I've, I've been dabbling in mead making myself. And I told mm-hmm. myself, if I can make mead, then I can, it's pretty easy. Then I'll probably start making beer afterwards. And always like looking online, you know, some people are like, oh, you just do two weeks and then you throw into secondary. Some people, you know, are like 18 months in secondary. I'm like, I can't wait that long. There's, I want to drink this. <laughs> but yeah, it really depends on the type of beer and what you want out of it, right? Indeed. For me. My favorite beer used to be lager, but mm-hmm. since I've been with my fiance for a while, I think it's transitioned to a stout. What is your favorite type of beer and why? Uh, my favorite beer is a pale ale because it is understated excellence. You know, it's nuanced, it's elegant, it's complex. It drinks well alone and even better with food. What batch of beer have you made that was your proudest creation, would you say? Oh, that's a good question. I would say that uh, recently, my Halia Sour Cherry Gosa, it is a world-class version of a traditional German sour beer. And we won the silver medal in the LA International Beer Competition with it in 2019. And since then, I've been making modifications to our process with the intent of winning the gold medal with this beer. Last year, most competitions were canceled due to COVID-19. So this is our year to go gold with it. And I'm very proud also of an Imperial IPA that I recently designed that is, you know, the first part of working up what will be like a pina colada IPA, um, like a tiki drink. That sounds pretty good. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that one when it fully develops. But that one is 10.1 ABV. And the first version already drinks like a mink and has fully derived uh, fruity aromas and flavors of passion fruit, pineapple, coconut, and guava. It really is a gee whiz beer. Oh, that sounds amazing. My uh, fiance loves pina coladas, so that's something she would definitely be into. 
I also have to oh. say that um, when I was in California, my top favorite from Urios was either the Halissa Sour Cherry Ghost, and it was tied very mm-hmm. close to the Pollux Glaze Donut Beer that you have as well. Oh, yeah. That's another exciting beer. I had a dream that I could make a beer taste like a donut, and I had read about the popularity of pastry stouts, and I thought, pastry stout, hmm, I'll be a copycat if I make another pastry stout. So mm-hmm. I'm just going to make... Uh, I turned a cream ale into a glazed donut beer. And the cool thing about it is some of our neighbors copied the beer because I heard, oh, yeah, these close associates of ours are making a donut beer. And I said, well, obviously they liked it. So that's a great compliment. This week's episode of The Micro Moment is brought to you by Zymo Research. Accurate and reproducible microbiome analysis relies on well-defined mock community standards as well as optimized methods for sample collection, nucleic acid extraction, library prep, and bioinformatics. Check out Zymo's complete microbiome workflow at zymoresearch.com. That's Z-Y-M-O-R-E-S. E-A-R-C-H dot com. So speaking of that, do other microbrews, like have you seen other microbrews like kind of copy a type of beer that another one has outside of this one? Well, I think it's happening all over the place and all the time. I mean, how do you come up with new things? You know, they mm-hmm. say in music that you can't write chords or expressions that haven't already been written. Mm-hmm. And and any song ever played is just a, a newer version of something else that was already written. You know, I mean, you could, you could look at things that way. But for me, uh, I started brewing beer over 30 years ago and drinking at home because, you know, it was just, better that way you know i mean you shouldn't drink and get behind the wheel to go home so if you're already at home you know it it just worked out right right um and so i just kept on doing it and then people would say oh have you been to this place and had that beer and i go no if you really look at my experience and sum it up i mean i make beers for myself and i drink them at home so if my beers are unique it's because i haven't looked at whatever anybody else is making I just been making what I like, making it in a more or less vacuum. Mm-hmm. And so they would have to be unique because I never looked at what anybody else was doing. But then again, they could be copies, but I mean, not really, since I didn't, didn't even know what people were doing. Mm-hmm. Right. It's kind of like uh, putting your own spin on something that's already out there. Yeah, exactly. And now I've got friends, they're brewmasters here and there some of them they felt like they needed a little help to be professionals so (laughs) i went to the san diego uh, professional brewing certificate course and learned a lot and then i shared what i learned with some friends and people who hired me to um, consult in their brewery and you know then their breweries became very successful and so did their recipes and um, 
and I help them to develop those recipes. So I actually have the recipe in my computer. And they said, you could make that beer. I don't care. And I go, well, I don't think the point is for me to straight up copy a recipe, but, you know, use it as a springboard for ideas that could flourish from that first recipe, which hmm. is what I want. Have you ever had a batch that didn't come out great? Yeah, more than one. <laughs> so I got, I got a book on water and I read part of it. Have you ever, have you ever read that book? No, I have not. Well, I recommend that everybody read it because water is the key to the best beers. And it's, there's more water in any beer than there is anything else. I mean, you could talk about hops and grains till you're blue in the face, but you know, by volume and by weight, there's more water in that beer. So if you concentrate on your water and it has a lot to do with those pHs and the uh, flavor, you know, because all flavor is through exchange of ions in an, in an aqueous environment across your tongue. And those ions are those salts in the uh, water. So super important. I yeah, I don't, about water. <laughs> I don't think I would use the water from my tab because I live in a city. I generally get it from a, if I were to do it, I'd probably have to filter it first just to make sure. <laughs> yeah. So straight up tap water. Nope because they put chlorine and chlorine amines in it to make it potable. Mm -hmm. um, and that makes it safe to drink. So it would also make a beer that you just wouldn't like because those that chlorine and chloramines would react with the polyphenols in the husks of your grains and produce flavors that would be like you ran your beer through a vinyl hose or were straight up drinking water out of a vinyl hose. Mm. And it would have that vinyl taste to it to every one of your beers once if that level's too high that uh, doesn't sound good at all there there was a professional brewery and all their beers tasted like that so i asked them i go how are you treating your water and uh show me the process and when you demand water to uh make a batch at what rate do you demand it and through what filters are you running it so after taking a look at it and i said you need to get more filters put them in series or slow down your demand rate or make water and fill a tank and then demand it however fast you want. But those filters need contact time because you're not properly filtering your water. And that's why your beers taste like they do. Hmm. So then they sorted that all out and made way better beers. I think that's a, a big thing a lot of people don't actually think about. There's a lot to think about. And um, so I guess that would be what separates the professional from the amateur is we're spending a lot of money on it and could go broke if people don't like our beers. And so, you know, and I feel that people deserve a well-made beer, you know, the two meanings of professional. One is that you're getting paid to do it, so you're a pro. And then the second is that you're doing a professional job. So that's the one I take, you know, and we are out to make professional beers, top-notch beers, because people deserve it. Mm -hmm. I so. can attest. I can attest to the taste. They definitely taste very good. <laughs> Thank you. So do you still make beer at home? And if so, is that how you try new brews before making them in-house? Well, so I brew seven, several times weekly at the brewery. I think last week, eight times. So I feel very little to no desire to brew at home anymore these days because my whole... Like all those needs are met right here at the brewery. Mm -hmm. 
but I do love to hang with my buddies. And when they brew at home and I'll come over and share my knowledge of brewing with them, but not tell them how to brew, you know, like decision, decision points will come up and I'll be like a, an open book where I tell them you could do this, this, or this, and these will be the results. So what do you want to do? Mm. You know, help them that way. And, um, and it's very relaxing and we all enjoy the time spent together. But I do have a one barrel uh, pilot brew house where I, I do fine tuning on recipes and recipe development prior to scaling up to production size batches, which would then be sold in distribution as well as in our tasting room. What's the size of it, if you don't mind me asking? So the pots are uh, 31 gallon and I can get a 25 gallon batch out of it. And it takes me about five to six hours to produce one of those batches. And then if I was to double batch, I could do that second batch, like every two and a half hours, kick out another batch. Well, that's that's really efficient. <laughs> yeah. I'm still new, so it takes uh, quite a while for me to um, uh, move everything from primary to secondary and just setting everything up to primary because I'm so nervous about accidentally contaminating anything during the process. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. It didn't used to be this quick for me. And that nervousness was part of what slowed me down. So this may be an obvious question, but what's your favorite microbe? It's actually the, the Kelly ale yeast, California ale uh, phenotype of the Saccharomyces cerveza. It's clean profile allows the hops to shine and I love a hoppy beer and uh, but at Urail we commonly use at least five different yeast for our beers and one bacteria the lactobacillus planetarium for my sours and we're doing kettle sours we don't do the full-on mixed fermentation sours because if a brewery makes clean beers and sour beers in the same location some have tried and it has been found that it can't be done, that you need to make all your clean vert in the place that makes normal beers. And then you could even have another place like across the parking lot or across the street. It doesn't have to be far, but it needs to be separate. There needs to be a degree of separation. So you take normal vert and you'd sour it and turn it into sour beer over there. So is that because there's accidental can, you know, like contamination of the lactobacillus into other beers is that why you can't do it right next to each other or in, in the same yes. building to have great amounts of those microbes that will because the microbes can build up within your brewery mm -hmm. that lactobacilli it's it's on the grain so if you don't constantly clean that grain dust that's produced when you mill you could have a spontaneous souring so we're always cleaning oh, okay yeah, it's just, and, you know, people have had like two different colors of hoses, but all it takes is a new guy to grab the wrong hose or like a part in common, like a sight glass that wasn't completely heat sanitized and then sanitized with the sanitizers. That makes complete sense. So what would be some advice you give to someone who wants to get into brewing? Well, if you like to cook and you uh, like to eat, then it could be the same way with making beer because it very much is like cooking. It's time and temperature, the recipe, mm -hmm. but it's, it's a little bit more complex than that because then you have the fermentation and the microbes. But 
it's a hobby that gives you great pleasure to express your inner nerd and it pays you back with delicious beer. So I say do it. I also like the just the ability to experiment with what you got too. It's like, yeah. What if I try of, this? And a lot of home brewers, they say, well, I'm just a home brewer. And I go, nope, you are a brewmaster for your own private label. You can't sell it because you don't have a license, but you know, you're making all the decisions. You're writing your own recipes. You're telling yourself whether you like it or don't. You know, you're the one who's going to pour out a batch if it changes or not. You know, all those decisions are brewmaster decisions. So you're a brewmaster. And I salute you. (laughs) (laughs) Are you surprised of how popular home brewing has become over the years? Uh, No, not really. Because, I mean, everybody will get in at whatever depth or level that they want to. I mean, it does require work. Like, you know, when I make one of my pilot batches, I can do it in five or six hours. But five or six hours, I mean, that's some time. Mm -hmm. So basically, it's a time to relax and sit down with friends that have a common interest making that beer. Then, you know, when you're sitting around waiting for things to happen, there's plenty that you could talk about. You know, you could take breaks for lunch, turn it into a potluck. You know, everybody brings like whatever dish that they feel that they're very proud of. And maybe you have a theme, you know, and an entree and then side dishes to support it. If a a lot of friends are getting together on that brew day, you know, they're just really fun events. You know, I and I and I love the the home brewer people because they're just, you know, hey, try that try out this beer that I made. <laughs> Tell me what you think. <laughs> you know, it's just they're just very nice, you know, and uh and normal and and they just have like just normal, plain, ordinary stories, you know, to tell. But and they're fine with it being that way, you know. And it's just great to be around people who are comfortable in their own skin and enjoying some kind of hobby that brings them great pleasure. It's a neat thing to share. I really like the idea of turning it into an event where people just come together. Yeah, it's awesome. And I'm a beer judge, so people ask me sometimes to be critical about their beer. And so I will, but never in a mean way, you know. You know, I might say, oh, this beer is very under attenuated, so I'm getting like these sweet uh, flavors. Tell me about how you mashed it, you know, and if in hearing what they're saying, I can see something where I might add something for advice on how to dry the beer out or just, you know, whatever. I remember one time at a homebrew club meeting, a friend was asking me to give a critical evaluation of his beer. And the president of the club said, wow, you're being awful critical of that beer. And then the guy who asked me said, lay off, Don. I asked him to be critical. And I will say this, he's being critical, but he's not being mean. I want to hear what he has to say. (laughs) So what is uh, the future for Uriel's? Like, what do you have in the works right now? Well, we're in a strong position to expand our distribution and tasting room sales. So that's our intent. Currently developing food recipes to pair with our beers. So I'm writing a like a recipe book and food and uh, beer and food pairing. Like there's not enough of those already. (laughs) (laughs) And so I'm always innovating. Like whenever 
we're you know doing maintenance to our equipment and you know i have to take a lull in brewing i've been writing uh, recipes so and then the time to make those recipes i'm actually about 60 recipes ahead that i haven't brewed yet it's why our beers are so solid because i take the time to make them right before i put the beers out and a lot of what i do in flavor development i titrate flavors into the beer so before that beer becomes a beer and goes into the package, I already know what it's going to taste like. It's not, oh, I'm going to make this beer and see what it tastes like. I make the beer and know what it's going to taste like. So because of all the experience I have. And it's, it's why our beers are so solid, even when we first relieve them, uh, release them. And like I said in the beginning, I like to solve puzzles. And unlocking that flavor potential of a recipe is what's kept brewing exciting for me for over 30 years. Oh, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Is there anything you want to plug, like a website? Well, we do have an Instagram page and a Facebook page. um, And our website is www.urailbrewing.com. Yeah, follow us, like us, and see what we're up to. Uh, Come visit us and uh, let us treat you to our hospitality. And again, that's your real brewing company down in Riverside, California. Thank you. Thank you very much, John. Thank well, you. Well, Microbial Nation, that's the end of our show. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope you learned something interesting about beer and maybe got inspired to do a little home brewing. What was your favorite beer and why? You can let us know by sending us an email at microbigals at gmail.com. That's M-I-C- R-O-B-I-G-A-L-S at gmail.com or by finding us on Twitter at Microbigals. If you'd like to donate, we also have a Ko-Fi that you can access on our website, microbigals.com. If you found this podcast valuable, please share it with a friend or a loved one. Remember everyone, don't forget to feed your microbes. Maybe a little beer next time. Bye!